Good morning, God's wonderful people. Here we are again at the beginning of a new day. A new opportunity to give God thanks. A new opportunity to tell of His goodness and of His wondrous works in our lives. Let's testify today of His goodness. Let's testify of His wonderful works that He has been doing in our lives. The fact that He has kept us alive till now is a tremendous testimony. The tragedies you have been through, the hops and the downs, the storms, the fire, the perils you have been through and you are still alive today is testament of God's faithfulness and His love for you. You have been through trials, you have been through tests, you have been through fire and still you are here. That's enough to give God thanks for my friend. It should cause it should cause it to be stand up on the mountain top and declare his truth throughout this earth. It should cause to stand on top of your house and declare great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let's praise him and give him thanks today. Welcome back to our study that we have been doing for the past couple of weeks now. We have been doing a study on Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 31. And this study is centered around the warrior's identity. That's our theme for this study, the warrior's identity. And in this study, we have been going through Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, looking at the declarations God made when he made man. These declarations, as in it, God's intent for man, God's purpose for man, and God's mission for man. Man's mission and purpose and identity is wrapped up in these statements. And you may have noticed in past and previous studies that we have done that I normally do a review at the end of each section. But in this study, we have not been doing that. That is because we have these studies in episodes. They are recorded. So you can go back and listen to the previous recordings if you miss out on something or you want to refresh your mind on something. So, for those of you who have not yet li listened to the ep or last episode, then you need to do that because this one is a continuation of that. And all our episodes are continuation because our studies are continuous and progressive. So, if you listen to this episode, you can catch on and continue. However, some things might escape you because you have not been filled in on where we are in the study. So, in our last episode, we started to analyze the first letter of the word that is translated dominion, which is the word radar. We are we, we left off in our last episode talking about the gematria of that letter, the letter resh. So, we're going to continue that consideration of the gematria for resh in this study. We closed off last episode talking about Jacob's gift to Esau and how in that gift there is a message coined in that gift and a prayer of Jacob coined in that gifting and the numbering of those giftings. Each category of gifts and the number of that kind of gift, it leads us to connect that to letters. And when you group those letters according to the kind and type of the gift, for example, for the sheep, he gave a certain amount of male sheep and a certain amount of female sheep. They're the same thing with the goats. And the numbering of the goats and the number of the sheep are the same. They're identical. There's a reason for that. When you connect the number of for the goats, the number of males and number of females, when you connect the number of males to a letter and number of females to a letter, it spells an Hebrew word. 
You get an Hebrew word which means soft or tender or make tender. The same thing for the, for the sheep. When an Hebrew letter is repeated, it intensifies what is being said. And also it, would, it comes across as a pleading or a begging or a beckoning. So here it translates in our English language to, be, to mean a phrase which says, Make tender hearted towards me who this is for. This is what Jacob was declaring in his gifting of these gifts to his brother Esau. Those numbers that are given in those gifting are specific and they declare a message. And that's the message it declares of the prayer that Jacob was praying and giving his brothers this gift. So we continue from there. So we are looking at the number 200 as the gematria for Resh. And we are looking at the, what does 200 signify, what it symbolizes. Here we see in Jacob's gifting that 200 symbolizes the expectancy of being united with someone or with whatever the object of your desire is. So it's the expectation of being united with and to become one with someone. So we see Jacob here, his art desire was that he was expectant to be reunited with his brother. We see the same thing occurred again in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 27. In this story of David, who wanted Saul's daughter and in marriage. And so we see in 1 Samuel 18, verse 27, it says there, the number 200 is used there, where it says, Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew other Philistines, 200 men. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full, in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, to wife. So here we see the 200 being associated with David's expectancy of being united with Saul's daughter in marriage. So David was expectant in being united with Saul's daughter. So we see this idea coming out in this passage as well. Therefore, my friends, 200 spiritual significance is expectancy of becoming intertwined or becoming one with. Resh is the 20th letter of the Aleph Beit. 20th letter of the Aleph Beit. And being the 20th letter of the Aleph Beit, it means the significance of 20 is going to bear upon the significance of Resh. <coughs> so the spiritual significance of 20 is that of expectancy and the perfecting of a waiting period, the perfect waiting period. And so it's also lining with perfect timing. So that's the spiritual significance of 20. 20 is also the age at which a, a young Jew in the time of the scriptures, in, at which a young Jew becomes army ready. In other words, they could not join the army before age 20. It's 20 years and older that they were able to join the army. So it's the age where they become army ready. So the age, the 20 is significant to um, you know, a, a perfect timing or a, a, a perfect waiting period. So they had to wait until they were 20 to become a part of the army. Jacob had to wait 20 years to be united with his wife. And that's, that's Rachel. That, that's his actual and, and, and true wife. And so it, it, is, it is significant. The spiritual significance of 20 is that of expectancy and a perfect waiting period. This also connects Resh to Kav. The fact that Resh is the 20th letter of the Aleph Beit, it connects it to the Kaf. The Kaf Jimatra for the calf is 20. And so calf and resh is connected in that way. The calf is a hand that lifts up in support 
or suppression. So the hand can suppress or it can lift up. This is what connects the resh to the calf. In that the resh is the head. And the head is the point from which you will suppress yourself or uplift yourself. You can be lifted up by the head or suppress the head. To give you more clarity on that, my friends, it is your mentality and your mindset that determines whether or not you rise or fall. It is your head that will determine whether you become or not become because it is in your head that your imagination is derived. Where your imagination is what gives rise to the possibilities of what you can become. If you have not yet envisioned what you can be, then therefore you will never ever achieve your greatest potential. But first you must envision, then you must be able to capture that vision and see it, visualize it, sense it, feel it, have an emotional experience with that vision. And then it can become your reality. Bottom line is, your mental capacity or your mental outlook on life is what determines how you experience life. How you envision life in your mind, your mindset, that's where you determine what happens in life. That's how you are either supported or suppressed. You see, it is understood that the poor is not poor because he lacks things. The poor is poor because his mindset is poor. That is where poverty resides, in your mind. It is the way you think that results in you being poor. It's the way you think that results in you being wealthy. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation occurs when your mind changes. If your mindset doesn't change, if your mindset does not become that of the mindset of a wealthy person, you can never be wealthy. If your mindset does not become the mindset of a righteous or, a, or moral person, then you will never be righteous or moral. It begins in your mindset. It begins in your head. So the calf and the resh is connected in that, my friends. 200 also is 20 times 10. Again, this shows the connection of the resh to the calf. And also to the Yod. The Yod is a letter of idea, thought, and imagination. That's the letter Yod. Why it is regarded as a, the letter of, of idea, thought, and imagination is because the Yod is a letter that does not touch the baseline, nor does it touch the top line. It floats mid-ear. So it's the idea of imagination. It's idea or imagination. The, 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 here again, the, the, the Yod is, is 10. And in order, in order to get the number 10, you have to exercise your imagination. So from 1 to 9, those you can learn by rote. But to get to 10, you have to then employ your imagination to get to 10. Because 10 is made up of the previous numbers, numerals that you have, 1 to 9. So it is 1, and now you have to add another figure to the 1 to make 10. You don't see 0 because 0 is not a numeral. 0 is a place older. And so you have to place that now with the 1 to get 10. So you, it requires your imagination to go from 9 to 10. And so that is, again, how Yod is regarded as a letter of imagination, thought, and idea. The thought and imagination is the beginning of all things. That's what we have to learn. That your thoughts and your imagination are the beginning of all things that manifest in your life. 
It is the very way in which things get expanded and made bigger in our life. You see, if you're living in a little shack on the hillside, you will never ever move from that shack to a mansion if you have never imagined yourself living in a mansion. If that idea never enters your mind, that shack will be your mansion for the rest of your life. Any expansion in your life that is going to occur begins with your mind. It begins with you capturing that thought, having that thought. Imagination must come to life where that is concerned. You will never rise to become anything greater than you are unless you imagine yourself greater or bigger. It begins in your imagination. The rest, therefore, my friend, is the fulfillment or the fullness of expectancy. That is what the rest is. Because the yud and the calf being 10 and 20, any number multiplied by 10 speaks to the fullness or the completion of that which that number represents. 20 is a number that represents expectancy and a perfect waiting period. Therefore, 200 must be the fulfillment of that expectancy, the fullness of that expectancy. We see that coming out in the story of Jacob. We saw it in, in the story of, 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 um, of, of, of David, you know, wanting Saul's daughters and in marriage. And he got that. It was fulfilled in him killing 200 Philistines. And that was what accomplished that, that fulfillment of that expectancy. Jacob, we see that happening in the gift he gave. And the numbering of those gifts, it shows his expectancy in being united with his brother. And it happened. The fullness of expectancy. That's what 200 represents, my friend. Therefore, the resh represents the fulfillment and fullness of expectancy. In other words, that which you can conceive and imagine you will achieve. That happens in the head. What are the lessons we have learned from the resh here, my friends? We have learned... That the resh is the head. It refers to the man who is poor, destitute of everything. That's what the resh refers to. The man who is poor and destitute of everything. In other words, he's not just he's not a man who is poor of things. He's a man who is poor of spirituality. He's without God. And that is the worst state of poverty. The poverty of the resh, my friends, is more wretched than the poverty or destitution of the Dalit. We refer to the Dalet as being the letter that points to poverty as well. But the Dalet is the man who is poor of things but is rich in God. Because he looks to God. Even though he receives from the Gimel, he looks to the hay. So he is destitute of things but he's not wretched. The Resh is the one who is poverty that is wretched. More wretched than the Dalet. The Dal of Dalet has pitance. Has something. But the Resh has nothing. In, in 2 Samuel 12, verse 3, when Nathan came to David, he was giving David an analogy in a parable of his condition. And he tells him a story of a poor man and a rich man. He says, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought or bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him, with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. So here, the, the idea of a poor man who has nothing is the resh. Because the word used there is the word rash, which means poor. So therefore, we are seeing here that this kind of poverty is always associated with nothing, having nothing. That's the poverty of the resh. The Dalit at least has pitance, but the resh has nothing. 
Again, we learned that the resh is the head, the beginning of all things. So whilst we see that there are two sides to every letter, there's a negative and there's a positive side. The resh negative side is poverty, but the positive side is resh. Of the resh is head. Rosh. Rosh. The resh is the head, the beginning of all things. And the point from which all things are controlled. It is from the head that everything is controlled. If there is no head, there is no control. That is the fact of life, my friends. Because it's from the head that all things are controlled. We must endeavor, therefore, my friends, that we administer our headship in God and in full acknowledgement and fear of Him. This is a caution that we must take. That even though we have been given this dominion by God, even though we have this authority, even though we have this dominion over all things in the earth, over this realm, it must be administered in God and in full acknowledgement and fear of him. That is how our dominion must be administered. Here's something interesting. The very first letter of the Torah is the word Rashid, which means beginning. That word is spelled with the last three letters of the Aleph Beit. Now that is spelled with a Resh, a Shin, and a Tav. Also there's the Aleph and the Yud. But the Resh, Shin, and the Tav. The first letter is the Resh. The middle letter is the Shin. And the last letter is the Tav. So this word is spelled with the last three letters of the Aleph Beit. This, my friend, is significantly how God operates. Because... He did say, he declares the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning. So in this very first word of the Torah, we have a declaration of the end of all things. The resh looks to the shin, which will purify him, cleanse him, the fire of God, which ends in the ultimate fulfillment of the covenantal relationship of God and his creation. Each letter of the Aleph Beit in their position makes declaration of God's truth. The Aleph Beit is a containment of the truth of God. The entire message of God is contained therein. These last three letters of the Aleph Beit are significant in understanding end time events or what will happen in the end. We know that all this that we're going through now culminates in the covenant of God with mankind being established. The very purpose which God created man will once and for all be realized. In that man will ultimately become that which God created him to be. And that relationship with God will be finally be restored. That relationship he had with Adam in the Garden of Eden, that relationship will be restored. Here it is declared in the very first word of the Torah, Resh Aleph Shin Yud Tav. Declaring right there in the very first word that there will be in the end the realization of God's own covenant with mankind. God truly declaring the end from the beginning. The very end of the Aleph Beit is what is used to spell the word beginning, that we translate beginning. So therefore, my friends, that word that God declared in his word, he declares the end from the beginning, is a literal word. But it's also a word that in it is coined this understanding. 
There's so much to learn from these letters. But as we go through, my friends, there's more and more that you learn. So my prayer for you today is that you will understand that when the Bible talks about you having dominion, this very first letter of that word that is translated dominion, Radar, it is telling us that this dominion that we are given, gifted to us by God, can only be administered as we remain connected to God. We see this in the lessons we have derived so far from, from the Rish. It's the head, and therefore it is a point from which all things are administered. Your answer, your life realization of what God has created you to be, is wrapped up in this, my friends. Wrapped up in your relationship with God. That is where the answer to your problem lies. In your relationship with God. That is when you can exercise dominion over sickness. That is when you can exercise dominion over every ill in your life. And you can stand on the word of God in Jesus name and declare that you are free. You can rid your life of everything that is against God. By first establishing that relationship with God. Seek him now before it's too late. Better is little with the fear of Jehovah than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Here, my friends, we see Solomon declaring that it's better to have a little and the fear of the Lord with that little than for you to have great treasure and trouble therewith. He's telling us that any no matter how, how much great treasures you have, absent God, that's trouble. But my friends, when you have God, there is peace. We cannot overemphasize our need for God. We can be nothing, we can do nothing without God. You can be nothing and you can be nothing without God. You need Him. We all need Him. So therefore, this is why we need to seek Him every day and thank Him every day for His favor and goodness. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, God, for your love that you have poured out upon our lives. You have loved us beyond even ourselves, Lord. You have loved us beyond what we have been doing over these years. And your word declares that there's nothing that can separate us from your love for us. Oh, what love you have for us, Lord. We pray today that you help us, Lord, to rest in your love. To rest in your love totally, Father, and look to you always for our sustenance and our deliverance. To look to you always for our Father, help and our strength. Because you are our only help, our only strength. Be our guide as we continue in this journey. And be the enlightener of our understanding, Father, as we look to you and tell you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day now, my friends. And do remember that God loves you, and I do too. Shalom.